This is John. This is Trav. And this is Jay. Welcome to the Fringeworthy Podcast. This week we'll be talking about integrating Fringeworthy into an already existing Star Wars campaign. Star Wars is a role-playing game set in the universe of the Star Wars movies. Players take the role of scruffy smugglers, aspiring Jedi, and other people who run around the Star Wars universe creating conflict, creating chaos and mayhem wherever they go, trying to fight evil and do good, and the number of possible games with that Star Wars setting are really broad. And so the first question we have to ask is, what game are you playing? There are several different eras of play. There are several different campaign models. I'm going to go ahead and assume that the players are playing post-Return of the Jedi time frame and that they are playing people who uh, supported the Rebellion and fought on the good guy's side and are now attempting to help uh, restore the Republic because the other settings are less well-known and different variations we can get into can complicate things really quickly. Well, yeah, because there's the Rise of the Jedi, which is like 20,000 years before New Hope. There's the prequel era. There's the Knights of the Old Republic era. The long story arc, which is like, you know, 20 years in the future after Jedi. I right. take it referring to right after Jedi, the and I want to try to get the name of the the Grand Admiral Thrawn era. Uh, okay. Which is like within five years after Jedi, I believe. Is what okay. It is. I'm thinking, yeah, just before Admiral Thrawn comes on the scene. Okay. Because I have not done a lot of research myself into the new Jedi era and the expanded universe era. Okay. I tended to try to uh, GM in a more classic Star Wars style, so I tend to go into alternate time settings or alternate places. So we want to keep this pretty much straight Star Wars. The question is, what game are the players playing or were the players playing? One of the elements of Star Wars is an epic battle between good and evil. So very often what the players want to see is they want to see the same kind of arc that Luke Skywalker followed. He went from a scruffy farm boy on Tatooine, which he described as the, the point farthest away from where anything was happening. And he went from there all the way up to battling Darth Vader in the Emperor's throne room and beating him. And so a lot of players want to try to follow that kind of an arc where they become epic heroes facing an epic bad guy. And so we had two kind of possible settings here. One is after the defeat of their main bad guy. After the defeat of the party antagonist, what do they do? The second is perhaps the GM can use the fringe paths as a sort of a method for the PCs to survive their early and mid-level adventuring and gain the competence to go ahead and face the Empire and face the Darksiders and a full military might with a chance of surviving. I can't really tell what game the GM's playing. So I'm going to go ahead and be kind of general about that and discuss either or. 
but we're going to move, keep moving, and we're going to ask the next question. Now, Friendsworthy, I can assume we're talking to people who know what Friendsworthy is. Is that right? Yep. Yes. Okay. So the first question is, where is the node centered? Because in Friendsworthy, we assume that the Termelern are interested in alternate Earths. They're interested in stories that reflect their story. And so my default thought is that the node roots on Coruscant. That Coruscant is actually the analog of Earth for the Star Wars universe. Assumption. We, we always assume that when we see you know, in a galaxy far, far away, we always assume that means a galaxy in our own universe. But could there be no more further galaxy far, far away than one that's in an entirely different universe? I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, I'm just saying is that if you want to look at it from that standpoint, that Coruscant think, could be the Earth, and it could be in a galaxy far, far away because it's in an entirely different universe. It's not even in our universe. Okay. Why not? I'm just saying, if you want to push the concept, there will be people who say, hey, you can't play Fringeworthy in Star Wars because Earth isn't any one of the worlds that they are on. And it's supposed to be in another galaxy, and well, even, that means it has to be in another galaxy than, than Earth. So you can't play it that way. And I say, ha, we can make it work. Yes. Well, also, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away is a very poetic statement. And so... You know, somebody who says, no, by, de by definition, it's a whole different galaxy at a different period of time. Yeah, but no. <laughs> if somebody really started busting my chops because they understand Fringeworthy enough to know that the Termellard focus on analogs of Earth, then I would say, well, how do you know Coruscant wasn't Earth at some point in the distant past? Because we are talking like 20,000 years later on a planet covered completely over with city. We don't know anything about the underlying geology of Coruscant which is part of the benefit of putting the uh, prime note there. Okay. More benefits. When I was uh, GMing my Star Wars game, what I discovered is different areas on Coruscant might as well be their own planet because the players have about as far as they can walk, but then they get into an elevator or some sort of people mover, and then they're in a whole different area. And so you can, do, you can separate what's going on in different zones of the planet and have all kinds of insane things happening on Coruscant. Another one of the benefits of having the prime platform route on Coruscant is that the eight portals that you're placing can be anywhere. Uh, Coruscant, the planet-wide city, goes from the airy heights where all the elite people live down to dark, stygian depths where there are horrible monsters and all kinds of unfortunate things going on. And so you can have portals opening into any of these particular areas and involving people who come through the portals into different stories in those areas seems like the portals themselves would probably be regarded as cast-offs or decorations or non-working technology. So they might not even be noticed for a very long time, depending on where they were. So we have a big planet-wide city, and we have portals scattered in different places and obscure places where you can walk through and, and access the fringe portals. Yeah, okay, so what? I think that at this point, we get into where Fringeworthy comes into the Star Wars game. Because I think a Melor, an old Melor or a high Melor, 
or just the Miller themselves would make a great bad guy, especially if one was able to start taking over people and trying to find a way to influence the new republic into being its power base for attempting to get back onto the uh, fringe pass. That would make a really good dark insider kind of uh, villain for even epic level players to confront. That's just kind of me winging a suggestion out there because I don't know what kind of game you're playing. The other thing that this can add to the game is if we go up the fringe path, if we go up the fringe path to the alt platform, what you're then looking at is alternate timelines of the Star Wars universe. Unless the GM has an idea for something else he wants to introduce to his Star Wars game. In this way, characters may be able to visit different eras in the Star Wars universe or may have a chance of meeting people who, by the time of the new era, are dead or have been wiped out by the Sith or something. They may be able to recover information that's been lost to the Jedi, or they may be able to uncover information about the Melor and about the Fringeworthy system that's starting to have an effect on their Star Wars universe. Then you get into another question of what's going on inside the Coruscant system because the next platform up is the system platform. Okay, are there moons, other planets, are there gas giants? We generally don't know because with hyperdrive, you don't bother with that other stuff. You go straight from Earth-like planet to Earth-like planet. You don't stop at the other planets that are not relevant to what people are doing on them. And then from there, we go up to the system platform, which links out to other planets within 40 years of Coruscant. Now, what they may be, I don't know. I don't think the Star Wars maps, I don't think the star charts are that clear, but it may allow the PCs to move around the core of the New Republic without having to take starships, without having to go in and out of hyperspace, and without having to answer questions for nosy border patrol or customs or import people. So you're so, saying they might avoid any imperial entanglements? Or New Republic entanglements, if that's what yes. they don't want to get involved with. I have a map of the, the quote-unquote, the galaxy of Star Wars from the revised core rulebook. Yes, I have that one, too. Within 40 years of Coruscant, that doesn't have much to say, does it? It's all worlds that are from the expanded universe. The closest movie world was Alderaan. Of course, this map has no definite legend like... One inch on the map equals this many light years, so yeah. there will be some fudging. I think a Star Wars GM should be prepared to fudge in one of two ways, or both at the same time if he wants to. He should fudge which systems are near Coruscant, and he should fudge whether or not the stellar platform leads for 40 light years or leads further. Because the Star Wars universe is a good deal more rubbery. Well, yeah, the hyperspace travel time, it doesn't give... For light years, it just says if you're going from the core worlds where Coruscant is to oh, yeah. Tatooine, which is in wild space, that's a 168-hour trip. Yeah. Oh. They don't have definite light year things. It just say in yeah. an hour's time or however many hours. So, yeah, there will be some fudging involved as far as just how far that star platform is going to go from Coruscant. But, I mean, there are maps... Of the galaxy, so you have at least certain worlds that you know are around and, and further away. Earth, and then you just fudge, like, okay, maybe these eight worlds yes. in this circle. 
We'll also notice that on the trip from Tatooine to Alderaan, uh, Luke Skywalker made a start on training as a Jedi, and uh, and Han Solo badmouthed the idea of Jedi-ness. And we still have no idea how long that trip took, because they only showed us the relevant parts of the trip, where the PCs were talking to each other. They got into a little bit of trouble with that in Empire Strikes Back, where Luke Skywalker is on a planet training how to be a Jedi, and the Millennium Falcon is going from the asteroids near Hoth to Bespin, the Cloud City. Yeah. And we're not told how long a trip that is, or what's going on, or how long Luke Skywalker is on Dagobah training to be a Jedi. And the fact of the matter is, for Star Wars, it doesn't matter. You close in, you, you do the scene that makes the point you want to make, and then you move on to the next scene that makes the point you want to make, and hopefully right. there's some shooting going on. The Star Wars style of storytelling is much more rubbery, much more fluid, and much more about scene, action, scene, action. Yeah, fast and loose, about. right. Yep. The one big disadvantage of the Fringe Pass systems is going to be technology. Characters who have blasters, who have techno tools, scanners, and communicators and things, or lightsabers, are going to walk through the Fringe portal, they're going to have a handful of toys that are going to be disappointing to them if somebody starts shooting at them. That's not cool. I think a little bit of warning time. GM may want to spring fringe pirates who have exceptionally bad aim in order to educate his players about what, what they have that's not working. A real big problem is going to be if there are any droid characters like R2-D2 or C-3PO because they go through the fringe portal and they're dead weight. They're dead. They don't get to come back on until they go back through and power supplies start working again. That might be a bummer for somebody who's playing an R2 unit. And I've done that. So, yeah, my little guy would not be much of a presence on the fringe paths. Also, Uh, your cybernetics. There is cybernetics in the Star Wars universe. Anakin Skywalker's uh, right arm, he goes through and suddenly that's not working for him. That could be a serious bummer. A GM is going to want to really measure about that and be prepared to fudge on what makes a good story, but also be prepared to be kind of true to the fringe paths because they've got their own thing to tell. We want to introduce the characters to the fact that their technology isn't going to work successfully, and maybe the players will have fun scrounging around for gunpowder weapons and real sword and, and things like this to go hack and slash out on the fringe paths, but also how they can work around the stuff that Star Wars characters usually lean on to do routine things. I mean, like looking up data or talking to each other. That's a kind of an obstacle that could be used to introduce a new way for the players to see their characters and for them to, you know, start thinking outside of the usual box. And then we go into what kind of story are you telling? For me, it seems like the primary story of a Star Wars is an epic battle between good and evil. So an experienced or epic group of Star Wars characters would be just right to introduce to a bad Melor presence, a bad Melor infestation in a section of Coruscant or somewhere out on the rim, building up a force to come back and take the fringe portals and use them. <laughs> yeah, you might have a Melor who is in touch with the force. And of course, he's going to be a dark sider. And he'd be using that as hard as he could. Because they proved in the sequels that you can pump them up with with mitochondrians. Oh, well, you know, (laughs) when I GM Star Wars, I'm not going to worry too much about midichlorians. I also come from the school that the Force is much like the chi or the tau that you see in kung fu movies. 
that it's more of a matter of spirit than a matter of science. Right. A lot of people really got cheesed off when that was brought in. So that's going to be something that the GM is going to have to say. This or if the that. GM's in an existing game, he's probably already addressed that. Oh, right, right. But I mean, just how the powers would interact with the fringe paths, if the Melor could even have force powers. I mean, that's something else he's going to have to bring into well, play. that's more of a matter of how badass does the GM want to make its Melor. And I think a scary badass Melor would be good for guys who just knocked down Darth Other Guy and helped the New Republic defeat the Empire. What we've established with Fringeworthy is that strange physics uh, like magic, some psionics or some super science, stays resident in the node. So on the platform, the force would work, on the prime platform, up to the alt, up to the system, up to the stellar platform where you go to other stars in that universe, the force would work. But if they took the fringe roads cross-linking from the alt platform, then it would go to the GM's default set of rules. Force users may not have access to the force there. They may find themselves without their powers they're accustomed to. That might be an interesting way to change things up for the characters, to make a Jedi rely on other skills that he has. Or players might consider that a cheat. So the GM's going to have to consider how he wants to handle that. Then we get into the relationship of the Star Wars universe to the crosslinks and the other worlds and what those other worlds bring. Now, in Fringeworthy, we have aliens, we have people who are like humans but different, and we also have people who are very alien, but I don't think anybody from the Star Wars universe would be particularly nonplussed by that. I don't think they'd really stunned by that. But an alternate of Earth might confuse them a little bit, especially if they run into the assumption that the humans there consider that the home planet of all humanity. Having your Star Wars characters run around a B-13 universe finding beer and death stick on the store shelves and, and other happy things like that might be interesting, but you'd want to keep things more focused on the plot. We didn't do a lot of travel log with the Star Wars characters, except as they kind of landed in places running from the bad guys or running to accomplish something they needed to accomplish. If Star Wars characters were going to go to a different game world, it would be chasing a MacGuffin or chasing a bad guy who's going to get a MacGuffin or trying to flee a bad guy who is breathing right down their neck. Any questions, any input, any thoughts so far? One thought across my mind was they're Force users. Okay. Could it be that the Force is just a variation on, on psionics? That could be. So maybe at any place where psionics is allowed, a version of the Force is allowed. Again, that would be up to an individual's GM interpretation. I would tend to say, yeah. I would tend to say if a game world supports psionics, then the Force is active there. Because it seems like the Force is the PC of psionically interacting with the universe as a whole. The Force that flows through all things and holds all things together and gives life its its, its energy and things like that. So it's a matter of what will work for the story. Yeah. Trying to import Star Wars technology into another world, try to make lots of money or lots of gold or lots of jewels and stuff. I wouldn't support that because I would have a lot of Star Wars techno babble absolutely fail to work in other universes. Hyperdrives, blasters, force fields, no. Certain races would actually have a hard time outside of the Star Wars universe. Watu's race, the little bug Toy guys. Toy Darians. Says if he wasn't yes. that little. Yeah. But his wings are definitely way too small. Even he can't fly. 
in a, in a in a normal universe, he wouldn't be able to fly. Unless he had some psionic power that was pushing him, that was yeah. that was allowing him to fly. Yeah, right. and that's some why he was immune Jedi mind power. Yeah. The question is, do you have a Toydarian character in the party, or is a Toydarian one of the bad guys chasing our heroes? And then you get into the question of fringeworthiness. How are the characters all fringeworthy? Has there been like a gem they've had with them the whole time that turns out to be one of the control keys to the fringe paths? Or, you know, is it something to do with the force that allows people to be fringeworthy? Or what all? The, the GM needs to figure that out. He also needs to figure out a way for bad guys to have access to the fringe paths. Because unless our bad guy can chase the PCs through the fringe paths and keep the conflict going, what's going to happen is the prime platform and the alt platform are going to be just camping spots where the PCs can take a breath, get their hit points back, and recover from their last encounter, and then go charging in again. Maybe an alliance between the Melor and a band of fringe pirates? Well, yeah, but is that really a problem? We're looking at a high-tech universe here. And every time they go on the fringe paths, all their electronics, all their blasters, all their lightsabers, they're all going to go flat. And they're not going to be able to recharge them until they leave. So, yeah, they could go in there and they could camp. Yeah, they could get their hit points back. But then what are they going to do, come back out and be as helpless as kittens? I don't know. It depends on where you place any of the uh, portals and how conveniently the portals are placed to things like recharge stations as a... Star Wars GM myself, I made up a special effect that that worked for me to explain how all this stuff worked. But it's not going to be the same as anybody else has. It's just a matter of how the GM wants it to run and what story points this imposes on the game. The fringe paths, uh, I don't think, are going to be bolt holes to be used for anything other than emergency uses unless they introduce old-fashioned slug throwers. They actually have those in the Star Wars universe, the expanded universe. Some people use them, and they're available in the source books. So there are some people who prefer to use slug throwers. So the technology is available. But it's not the kind of stuff that people normally would use. I have it here. Come in a variety of pistol and rifle models and see most of their use in the rim or on primitive planets. Some bounty hunters and some adventurers specifically use a slug thrower because they like it. I remember a couple of characters in games I've been a player in used heavy slug throwers because the players just like the idea better. Right, so a fringe-aware character might very well carry that as a backup, just in case they were ever near a portal that was part of the ongoing Mm -hmm. campaign plan. I see the fringe pass as being a big negative to most people. You also have the ability to take that fusion bomb that's about to go off and, and jam it to a portal. All of a sudden, everybody's safe. That can make a big difference, too. Depriving the characters of their technobabble devices might be a way for the GM to ask the characters different questions about how they approach the world. You can't just blast it. You can't just hack it. You can't just slice it, as they call it. So coming up with different things for your character to do with different limitations may be a way to broaden out how you see your character and how you play your character's approach to problem solving. In my opinion, a Star Wars game, it thrives on motion. It thrives on action. This is why I would say definitely have a present and aggressive adversarial force on the fringe pass side. Without that, it would tend to slow the game down and slow down scenes. 
in a way that might break the Star Wars feel of it. You want to have bad guys and running and gunning pretty much at the GM's beck and call. That change in assumptions is a good thing that, that a fringe-worthy addition to, to a Star Wars game would bring. That would be what would make adding fringe-worthy to Star Wars cool. And let's go ahead and work this out. We're on Coruscant, and some Sith wannabe has just set up a planet cracker bomb in a room way down in the lower level. So the PCs fight their way down into the lower level and wipe out monsters and bad guys and get next to this planet cracker bomb. Now there's a strange ring in the room with the bomb. How are we going to tell them, put the bomb through the ring and it'll be okay? At least one person in the group is fringeworthy in this case. Or somebody steps out of the ring at the same time. I find that too ex dies machina, so I would prefer them to find the ring and then say, this looks like some kind of a space warp. Maybe th this could help us. Okay. It's not that far of a stretch for people. If they see a full ring station, then they're going to assume it's some kind of a portal. I, I almost guarantee you that. If they're seeing the black curtain, not seeing anything through it, if there's no. non-Frenchworthy people who just see it. If you see a, a warp, then ah. they're still going to probably say, this is some kind of warp space. We have a bomb to get rid of. Maybe this goes someplace off a of Coruscant. They would assume if it was some kind of warp space, it would go <laughs> to a different star or a different planet. But at least yeah. off the main capital city uh, in the capital world would be a good idea. So I would think that okay. at least one person would try to stick their head through. They would probably play on their PC immunity that the GM's not going to kill them off by putting this thing there. You know, they're yeah. going to see a huge plot hammer hanging <laughs> over the warp. So they <laughs> the go through, they, they notice all their equipment isn't working. And that's when they say, hey, I wonder if this will take out the bomb. And then they can take the bomb through. They solve the problem. Now they've got the fringe paths. At that point, if they want to explore to see what the fringe paths would provide them. And this could be as much or as little as possible. The big advantage of bringing the fringe worthy through they could just simply bring them up to speed and say, oh, well, this goes to these locations. The Star Wars characters could then take that and plug that into their star maps and say, oh, well, that means we can go here and we can go there and we can go there. Or can we? Mm -hmm. You know, the whole fringeworthy thing. If you introduce, like, IDET not too far away, then you've got an interesting thing. You've got a world with its own government that hasn't had any interaction with the Republic or the Empire. I know off the top of my head how the Empire would respond. They'd, they'd want to dominate and control. But how the New Republic would respond to that, you know, meh, hey, if you want to do diplomacy, give us a call or whatever. How IDET would react to, oh, yeah, the, through this portal, there's a galactic empire with millions of inhabitable worlds. Well, I'm sure that IDET would love this because it's going to add all kinds of technological options that IDET's been looking for. So from the standpoint of the Fringeworthy campaign, it's, it's not a, a campaign ender, but it's certainly going to accelerate things way along the timeline it, because of a, all the options that are going to be available back on Earth if they set up some kind of trade with the Star Wars universe. There's a certain amount of parallel between the Termellern Commonwealth and the Old Republic. Lots of planets getting along and everybody's happy, happy, joy, joy, until something goes badly, badly wrong. I think the Termellern would actually consider the old Republic of the Star Wars universe a pretty cool thing, and that may be why they put the portal there. Who knows? But right now, we're trying to focus on the Star Wars GM adding Fringeworthy right. to his game, not right. necessarily a Fringeworthy GM adding Star Wars to his game. 
Absolutely. So we've used the fringe portal as a means of getting rid of the, of the fusion bomb that's going to take out Corazon, or at least a big chunk of it. That's the benefit that the, the fringe pass have brought into the Star Wars game. Okay. So now the PCs have access to the portals. We're assuming the PCs are all fringe-worthy because otherwise the GM would be having an interesting time. No, I don't think so. I think that would be a mistake because okay. Star Wars already has a solution. It's called Carbonite. Ah, okay. You can carbonite these people, get a fringe-worthy person to truck them through to the next place, push the button, and they unthaw. And the they're blind for a while. That depends on how you want to use it. If that's going to be a real problem, if you're going to use the fringe pass all the time as some kind of a major conduit, then yeah, that would be a problem. I wouldn't go that route. But if yeah. you're using it only occasionally to move people and not materials then the Carbonite method would allow you to take any character without having to worry about whether or not they're fringe-worthy through. Have to see if you could find an old-fashioned dolly with actual wheels on it to wheel your droids around. Or have the player bring in an alternate PC. If you brought a person through as a block of Carbonite, you're going to have to drag that along too. Uh-huh. No floaties there. What sort of plot does the GM design around Coruscant or any other world that he selects having the fringe paths on it. My thought is that this could be a source for a very bad, bad guy like a Melor Sith, but I'm also thinking the Melor Sith would be really focused on the fringe paths because he would want to be getting back through there and continuing the war against the Termellor, wouldn't he? No, I think he'd be perfectly happy to come to this universe and destroy as much as possible. Okay. They were trying to work together when they had communication using the big system. And that was purely from the standpoint of they all attacked at the same time, they would do maximum amount of damage. They also gathered and deployed really scary weapons. And right. it got to the point where the Commonwealth planets had to really put together armies and tactics and strategies to battle them. And if that was necessary, then, yeah, it was because the Melor were using tactics and strategies and their own armies against the Commonwealth, wasn't it? Right. But think of the hierarchy. Each Master Melor is equal to every other Master Melor. There is no hierarchy above that. Right. So what does any given Master Melor want? They all want the destruction of the, of the world in which they're on. And they okay. start producing offspring. It may not be a Master Melor. It might be a Great Melor. As I've been telling John, John, I disagree on this, but I think that the Master Meller and, and a Great Meller would come as a pair, and then the Great Meller would be the one doing all the splitting, because the Master Mellors are almost always sterile. What we got but, is a new introduction of a Master Meller, or the GM places the Meller off in a corner they've been building up to take a run at wiping out all life in the galaxy. They certainly work with one world, and they would work their way out with the ability to have star system travel. They would so, certainly take a longer time, but they would be working concertedly to destroy each and every world they came in contact with. So a GM might just get the Fringeworthy book and read up on the Melor and have a Melor invasion of the Star Wars universe mm -hmm. and have the Fringe Pass and, and all the implications of that hidden right. somewhere out of, out of the way without telling the PCs where all these monsters are coming from. Right. You could have a number of foreshadowing 
where you might have them doing a couple of test cases out on some of the, the outlying worlds where yep. communication wasn't as good and they weren't in the thick of things. And, and they just say, okay, let's take out this world. How many Mellor does it take? What's the best combination, you know, low versus medium versus high? And how fast can we do it with the available technology? And then use that as information to build a plan for destroying the more advanced technological planets where right. they have standing armies and things like that to resist they, them. They would also have to build up facilities for building starships to, to take out the defending fleets. Not if they take over enough starships themselves. This is true. This is true. Well, okay, so you could have like a breakaway faction of the Empire getting eaten by the Melor. Uh-huh. Or a breakaway faction of the New Republic, for that matter. I mean, look at your average starship, and I'm talking about one that's like an Imperial starship or something like that that has a full complement of crew. About How many crew does it. it really take to effectively fight? I have no idea. Okay, well, let's assume that they can operate effectively with 50% personnel. Okay. That means that looking at the Mellor, the high Mellor, I think it has a 75% chance of taking over both the memories and the shape of the person that they're trying to take over. Okay. So that means that there's a really good chance that they would end up with at least 50% of the crew being Mellor and still retaining their memories and therefore being able to run the starship. Okay, so they'd want to do infiltration on starships. Yeah, well, remember, it only takes one because they can go in and start splitting out. They can take time to do this. Yeah, we're running the enemy inside the walls on, on several different starships. Right. Which would be a good encounter for the PCs, I guess. Especially if they got one and were able to start saying, what is this thing and what's going on? First person they would probably want to replace would be the medical officer on the starship because he's in control of the bioscanners. And, and Meller can be detected, especially if they haven't had time to create a covering of normal flesh and reorder their organs properly to look proper on the bioscans. They can be detected by some of these things like x-rays and ultrasounds and things like that. So taking over the medical officer's duties would probably be the number one thing that they would want to do on a starship they were trying to infiltrate. Remember, they don't want to be the captain. That's mm -hmm. usually the last job that they would take over. So well, once unless they had completely owned the ship, but then it would then they'd be using it for their own long-term plans. Right, but if they're infiltrating, that's not the case. They have to first infiltrate enough to take over the starship. So I think the first thing they're going to do is take over the medical officer, and then that way, when they start taking over these other forms, they don't have to spend as much time making the illusion as they would because they don't have to worry about going in for their annual checkup on the starship and have some, the medical officer say, hey, wait a second, you're not human or whatever other race you're supposed to be. There'd be a problem if the medical officer is a droid. Droids can be reprogrammed. That's not as much of a problem as you might think. Are the Millers dark spots in the Force? Would Jedi be able to pick them out just by them being who they are? No, hold on. I never heard of this. What are, what are dark spots in the Force? When somebody is light side or somebody is dark side, somebody who is a Force user can sense that about them. I usually made the PCs go ahead and ask first, but somebody near a Mellor who's thinking, er, kill them all, would tend to pick up a really angry, hostile vibe off of somebody who's been replaced by Mellor, even if they couldn't specifically grasp why. The Mellor's intention would be pretty clear and pretty black, unless the Mellor knew that that was giving him away and knew to hide it. So every evil-thinking, angry 
entity in the Star Wars universe shows up as a black spot in the Force? I think how much they appear as uh, bad guys also depends on how much of the Force they are wielding at the time. Apparently, the Jedi can at will kind of do a borrowing from a fantasy role-playing game, a detect evil. Huh. Okay, yeah. that's news. Well, all the more reason to keep the stupid Jedi off the off the <laughs> Imperial starships. Yes. Okay, this should be good. Well, don't forget they do have Tommy guns, which aren't exactly known for their. For their no, that's true. That's true. They could be intending to shoot it up. Okay, that's good. I like that. <laughs> Glad you like it. <laughs> I ain't what. all that enthused about it myself. Um, <laughs> you think you got problems? I'm from Iowa. Nobody from Iowa talks like this. It's funny. I I always took him for the bookish type, you know? (laughs) Yeah, impromptu barnstorming. (laughs) I meant to do that. (laughs) Exactly. But Mark's a nice GM. There aren't going to be any problems. Come on. (laughs) You don't know me very well, do you? The Gutter Skypes. Are Melor susceptible to, um, well, Jedi mind tricks? I think lower Melor and least Melor would be pushable by Jedi mind tricks because they don't have much brains. But the higher order Melor, no, not even. That's an interesting thought. I, I'm glad you brought it up. These are not the people you want to eat the brains from. The people you want to kill and eat, but maybe not eat the brains of. I'm thinking right. they'd want to do a really organized, kill you all sort of destruction. An intelligent Melor might, might create bits of chaos and, and misery and destruction just because he liked it. But I think he'd be more interested in, in creating a sustainable evil, a sustainable uh, engine of destruction. Does that well, make sense? Yes, and I agree with you. That would be what their goal would be. But I mentioned earlier about the possibility of foreshadowing where they do yes. a couple of test cases yes. and where they might not actually be successful at destroying an entire world, but they might be able to take out a couple of of capital cities by using techniques like this and say, okay, well, that worked really well, but we want to make sure that we wait and save that until the final big battle so that after we take out all the other things, we then turn around and rain it all down on the planet or whatever. I, I'm just saying is that, you know, don't ignore the possibility of random massive damage because Meller liked that too. Okay. Yeah. I like the way you describe it. I'm bored. Let's go create massive destruction and see what happens. And take notes. <laughs> right, because the last thing that happens is you get that escape pod blowing off. And guess what's in the escape pod? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Question. Now, yes, let's say you are playing in a different time frame. The Yuzhan Vong have, for lack of a better term, biotech. The race themselves, I believe they are immune to force effects. Uh-huh. Would that biotech, however the PCs get a hold of it, or let's say you have, oh, a fringe-worthy Yuzhan Bong, and they decide to pop in, attack, pop back out, would that biotech work on the fringe paths? Uh, my default would be to say no, because the Termellor had biotech the equal to or better than the Yuzhan Bong. So they would kind of see that coming. No, you're not going to use that against us. We know how that works. But really depends on what makes a dramatic story for the GM. What can make his uh, players go, uh-oh, it really, again, it's another GM's call. If you wanted to really mess with them, 
you could say anything that's got really advanced biotech weaponry gets recognized by the Fringeworthy system as a malware. Hmm. You're suggesting that these people with this advanced biotech are using it as a weapon. Yes. The Yuzhang Vong are not nice guys. Okay. Well, I'm just saying is that if you wanted to nerf that, and, and because we said that the reason that the, um, mm-hmm. the, the, the breakdown of, of nuclear materials and other things like that is to keep yeah. weapons of mass destruction from being brought from world to world over the fringe paths, then if the GM would consider somebody with these abilities that powerful, they would have two choices. One would be either to inactivate them when they come through, because the fringe paths inactivate a lot of stuff. They, uh-huh. they actually make some things benign for a period of time. But if the okay. point of the system in shutting down electricity and nuclear material, other things like that, was to prevent the transport of weaponry and yes. the use of weaponry, then it would make sense that somebody who has that as part of their own body would find it in some way incapacitated. Either yeah, uh, their, their energy levels would be dropped so it wouldn't work, or they literally would be identified as a threat and destroyed. That's what I was implying when I when I responded earlier, that the uh, Termelern are better at biotech than the Yuzhang Vong. Right. And so they'd be able to see the kind of weapons that the Yuzhang Vong invent. They would already know about that kind of stuff because they would have seen it before. So they right. would see that coming. And so the safety mechanisms on the fringe pass would deny it. They'd say, no, that's not going to work because that's a weapon. Right. I don't want to lock a GM down and say, no, you can't have the UJ Wong bringing bioweapons onto the fringe path because, you know, if it would make for a better story, sure, why not? And that's fine with me as long as he understands the larger implications. Right. Now, he's not playing fringeworthy. We're talking about bringing fringeworthy into his game, so these considerations, you know, may not be important to him. But if they are important to him, then we're just saying is it try to keep this in mind that this is the reason why the electronic and nuclear lockdown is in place. So yeah, if that's well, the case, you know, it should follow that there might be some things that would nerf characters who have these powers that don't fall into those two categories but are still weaponry. I like your specification there that this is a Star Wars game that's moving on to the fringe paths, not a fringe path game that's colonizing the Star Wars galaxy. If the uh, GM likes the Yuzhang Vong as bad guys, and wants to use them, then we could say that even though the Termelern are an ancient race with experience at, at biotechnology, maybe they just never imagined that somebody would be as vile and nasty as the Yuzhang Vong, and so their safeguards are not properly equipped to deal with this kind of insanity. Right. That's also possible. You know, so it's, it's, it's also possible that the uh, protection... In this area, in this on these nodes, this section of the fringe paths are malfunctioning, and therefore it, it, that protection is not in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that you should still let electricity and nuclear material things work, only because that's ca- part of the flavor of fringeworthy. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying is that there's no reason to say, hey, you know, not everything is being excluded like it would be someplace else. What are the things that aren't being excluded are the powers that these creatures use. And that would okay. be perfectly okay. That, that would get around that whole logical inconsistency. In the near future, mankind will discover something that will change him forever. An ancient portal system to millions of worlds. Built by a civilization of advanced alien beings, now lost to the ravages of an interdimensional war. 
we will venture forth into the fringes of space and time to find alternate Earths and alien worlds, where he will find the wondrous bounty of knowledge as to who he was and what he might become. He will also find danger at every turn as he encounters hostile societies, alien beings, and the insidious Meller. Fringeworthy, the tabletop game of interdimensional adventure is now available for a D20 system and coming soon to Savage World. Action and adventure await you as you explore through the interdimensional fringes of space to an infinite number of new worlds. Your characters will face danger and excitement around every corner. Sail with Blackbeard on the Seven Seas. Journey to a steampunk Victorian age. Fight the Soviets in an 80s America that lost the Cold War. Travel to an alternate future and witness a supernova from the bridge of a starship and then battle it out with blasters, plasma swords. Use any D20 setting you already own or invent your own. Check out the French Witty Podcast at tritaxsystems.podbean.com to find out more. Whether you've never heard of Fringeworthy or have been playing it for the past 25 years, the Fringeworthy Podcast will entertain and inform you of all the cool stuff you can do with the most all-encompassing setting ever written. Every week, we'll take you on a tour of the fringes of space and give you tips on how to game in this fantastic multiverse. We discuss adventure ideas for the game masters and how to keep your team of characters alive for the players. Go to tritaxsystems.podbean.com and take a listen. You can also find us on iTunes under keyword Fringeworthy. A million, million worlds await you. Music by Ernest Stern, available on iTunes. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Jay. Keep it simple. The players are going to complicate it for you. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. The Tri-Tech Podcast is protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The Tri-Tech Podcast is wholly owned by Tri-Tech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.